Hello to all you listeners out there. Today is Thursday, April 25th, and my name is Bobby Bell. Today I am joined here with the phenomenal book author, Amanda Stern. Her first novel was published in 2003, entitled The Long Haul, and now to date she has published 13 books. Today we will be discussing one of her most recent books called Little Panic, Dispatches from an Anxious Life. This memoir reflects the experiences of a girl growing up in New York City with an intense feeling of anxiety that the main character cannot quite seem to escape. Growing up in New York, what the main character experiences is related to Amanda's own experiences. Mental health awareness is a growing discussion in society today, especially in New York City schools more than years ago. And we will be discussing what mental health conversations look like when Amanda was a child. And now I will be introducing the woman that wrote Little Panic and has even written pieces of literature that has been in the New York Times. According to her website, she is a host, she is a comic, and she has even appeared briefly in the film called Meanwhile. Amanda Stern is right here with me today. Thank you, Amanda, for talking, taking the time um, to speak with me today. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Um, so how are you today? I'm good, you know, allergic to the world, but yes, hang yeah, in there. Yes, me too, a little allergies going on. Yep. Um, but to get started, um, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, what motivated you to write Little Panic and a brief summary about the book for the listeners? Sure. Um, so I'll give the brief summary first. Okay. Um, the book is about growing up with an undiagnosed panic disorder in Greenwich Village in the 70s. And um, it's... Um, I I grew up without knowing what was wrong with me, but I knew something was wrong with me. And it wasn't until I was 25 years old that I got diagnosed with um, panic disorder. Because I had gone so long without knowing what was wrong with me, um, I carried this thing around me sort of like a a big secret. And it was like, I felt very shameful to me. Um, I had always wanted to write about it, but I was not brave enough to write about it as my own experience. And so I started writing a novel, um, kind of putting my own experience into the novel, um, and it wasn't working very well, so I, um, I tried it again with a different novel, and that wasn't working very well, so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to get this out of me, I'm going to write out the real story and see if that will eliminate it from my body, and then I can go back to the novel and keep working on it and not make it be like a, um, a thinly veiled memoir. So I did that and I started to write my own memoir. I started to write my own story out and I just got, I just felt this sort of sense of rightness that this was the story I actually needed to tell. And, um, and I, I didn't want to really, I didn't want to, I was ashamed. I still felt ashamed. And so I just, kept on saying to myself, well, you don't have to show this to anyone, mm-hmm. just keep writing. And so it just sort of kept on developing. And, and as I showed it, showed a few pages, a hundred pages to my agent and a couple of friends, and they were like, this, this is, you got to keep going. This is, this is your book. And I was like, okay. <laughs> That's amazing. So um, how did you feel when you actually uh, got that book out um, and started showing it to people as opposed to keeping it private? Um, well, you know, at a certain point, I went through so much anguish while I was writing the book, and I had to come to terms with the fact that it was going to be out in public, um, and I felt okay with that by the time that it came out, but then it came out, and, um, and I, I, you know, you sort of, 
when you're writing about yourself, you do become a character. It's you, but you, the second you write something down, you've, it's, it's a character, you know? So there was a sense, I had the sense that, um, that I was, I had never written a memoir. I'd only written fiction. So I had this sort of sense that, that I had written about a character and it Mm -hmm. wasn't really me. But when I started to read aloud from the book to people, uh, the first week I started to read aloud, I had this overwhelming um, emotional uh, response and realized while I was reading my story aloud that it was my story. And I was like, oh my God, this actually, this happened to me. Mm. And I... I was, it was only after I'd written the story, after I'd written the book, after the book had published, when I was in public reading it aloud that I felt sad Mm. for my childhood self. I had never felt that ever, ever, ever before. So it was a strange, it was, you, you expect one, one thing when you publish a memoir you go out into the world with it, you have certain expectations about how you're gonna feel. Yes. And I didn't feel any of those ways. I felt completely, utterly different. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, been an, it's been an interesting experience. You know, people feel, people who have read it feel strange that they know so much about me mm-hmm. uh, when we haven't even met. And, you know, yeah. they'll meet me and they'll be like, how's busy? And I'm like, she's great. <laughs> and. Um, and they're like, it's so weird that I know this, but for some reason it's not weird to me. It's great. Yeah, I feel sort of like, no, I gave this story to you. Like, this is, I, now I feel great about it. Now I'm fine. And, um, but it did take some getting used to. And um, I think that feeling like I was a character a little bit helped. Okay. You know. Um, so definitely going out and um, reading your book aloud to at different events or just in general also being a mental health advocate um what message do you think you have given to um audience members that have read your book and uh what has the experience been like attending those events and speaking there well i think it's different for all um all ages of the audience so i think that i've given the message i i don't know what i've given i don't know what people have received but what i've tried to make clear is that um is that these feelings are completely common. Feeling anxiety is common. And that there are degrees of it, and some people are on the extreme end and others aren't, but that it doesn't matter where you fall, nothing is broken with you. You're not, you know, nothing is, is uh, you're not flawed. So I've tried to really send that message to children that, um, you know, these are, these are feelings that a lot of people have and that if yours are interfering with your everyday life, there are ways that we can address these issues. And, and you know, this is not a terminal illness. This is not something that can't be solved or addressed or managed. There is an answer for every single type of anxiety. And um, so it's one thing I've tried to get across. The other thing is that really important thing, two important things for kids is that they, um, I wanted them to know that, um, the more you talk about your story, the more that you admit to your emotional struggles, um, the less shame you'll feel and the more you'll, um, change the world. You know, the more people admit to 
what is human, the safer we'll all feel in the world to be who we are. Um, so that's an important thing I try to get across. And also that, um, um, and that if you have a certain fear, don't run from it. The only way to really face something is to literally walk toward it. Um, and that, you know, you don't want your, you don't want to live your life um, sort of beholden by fear. And, and you can actually take charge and say, no, 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 listen, fear. You're beholden to me. Yeah. And then I sort of walk kids through it, how to do that. So that's one thing with kids, what I've tried to get across. And with adults, I've tried to get across that um, the things that they're doing for their kids that they think might be really helpful is, in fact, damaging. And then I give them examples. That's definitely amazing, especially the fact that um, we all definitely fear uh, many things yep. in the world in general. And there, for some reason, it seems like in schools and society in general, we're kind of taught to su- suppress those emotions. Yep. Um, when you were going to school, um, definitely in the book, you jump from childhood Amanda to mm-hmm. adult Amanda, what it's like um, in school, going to school with an undiagnosed panic disorder. Yeah. Um, what were those experiences like in terms of school mm. um, for you? Well, they were really... They were really overwhelming. There's, so there's, um, therapists distinguish between types of trauma. And they say um, there's big T trauma and little T trauma. And big T trauma is like you were held up at gunpoint. And little T trauma is like um, you went undiagnosed with a panic disorder until you're 25. So every day of my life was like battling a little T trauma. And going to school when you had this anxiety about being called on or being tested or being... When you have anxiety, your biggest fear, one of your biggest fears is being wrong publicly. And because you already feel wrong, you already feel flawed. So if you're called on and you say an answer that's wrong, the, the sensation is that everyone will see what's truly wrong with you. This thing that you've been hiding and keeping secret because it feels so shameful and you don't have a name for it and you don't know what it is. And um, so it was very, it was traumatic. It was like little T trauma every single day of going to school and like really hoping that I wasn't getting, gonna get called on. And I would sit in the back and I had all these little maneuvers and tricks for not getting called on. And, you know, I mean, everything from bending down to tie my shoe to, um, you know, to scribbling really fast, all the things that every other kid knows. Um, But the sensations in my body that would happen when a teacher would look my way, um, I would have like these mini panic attacks. And so I would have mini panic attacks, like at least 12 of them throughout a day. And, um, and it was just awful. It was like a terrible feeling. And I felt, you know, at the end of the day, you're like wiped out just from that, Mm -hmm. from like living through these little panic attacks. Um, so it was horrific. Um, there's a lot, there's something else that happens to kids with, um, with trauma and that's that, um, it's called depersonalization or disassociation. And they sort of, do you know that this is a, so it's when someone has a lot of trauma 
um, that they haven't faced or dealt with, they um, something happens to their body where they sort of like separate from their body and they like rise up out of their body and they just feel disconnected from themselves because the emotion is too big and that would happen to me all day. Like I would just separate from my body because I was so overwhelmed with fear and I couldn't, my body couldn't hold it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is what life was like for me every single day of school. Did you feel any support from um, your school in general? Or? No, because no one knew what was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. So um, basically it was like a, it was a double-edged sword in a way because what would happen instead of getting the support I needed is that, that my fear of being tested um, was sort of, I had this fear of being tested, but then when I was tested, I would do badly because I was having a panic attack. And then I'd do badly, and then my parents and the teachers would be like, oh, well, something's going wrong with her academically. We should test her. So then I would be sent for more testing. So it was just this terrible... um, Overwhelming amount of testing. Yeah, and it it just was like this sort of um, endless wrong-headed existence so no I didn't get the support I needed at all Um, so today there is a bit more conversation in schools um, about mental health and a conversation around it do you think that students and children today are getting the support they need I think it depends um, in what state in what city in what county um, and I think, you know, it has to also across racial divides and gender divides. I think that there's, um, I think that a lot of white students are, I think that a lot of privileged students are getting, are, you know, more equipped with the vocabulary. Um, I, um, I recently went to Canada to talk to 10, 10 schools on this island, um, next to Alaska. And um, the kids that I met there were K through 12, and a majority of them were um, First Nations kids. Do you know what that is? No. Okay, so it's like, um, so it's the indigenous culture in in Canada. So how we have um, our indigenous culture with Native Americans, and then we came and slaughtered them and took everything that they had. Um, And then we, you know, treat them like shit. that in Canada, they're called First Nations, oh, and um, and they have, um, you know, their we have we stole their, they stole their land, and you know, have an entire community built on their land, and the uh, their social system is um, sort of built to, um, to neglect the people that they stole land from. So a lot of the First Nations people are um, suffering, really suffering, and are really traumatized. And a lot of the kids are really traumatized. And I went in there and I talked about anxiety and I was floored by how little they knew. And by how, um, you know, some kids, uh, the kids who were predominantly white knew a lot more than the kids who were First Nations. And, um, and, you know, the type of support that was available for kids who were predominantly white was um, sort of much, um, 
there had so much more infor- reinforcement for those kids and for the First Nations kids. So, you know, I've seen, um, I've seen sort of that disparity and, um, and that's upsetting. I think that there's just, you know, anxiety doesn't discriminate. Everyone suffers from it. It doesn't yeah. matter who you are, what you look like, where you're from. Everyone suffers from it. So to privilege a certain, you know, class of person, um, just, I mean, it's so American, even though this was in Canada, but, you know, it's such a, it's such a first world issue yes. or first world approach, I mean. So, um, I already forget the question, but I do think that, um, oh, I, I remember it, but I do think that, um, I think that the kids who have access are, um, better prepared and know the word, have the vocabulary, can speak the language, um, and can get the help that they need while there's so many kids who can't and don't. And at the same time, there are many, many parents of privilege who, don't bother to do the research or don't bother to buy books and read about them and arm themselves with the information. Like when the parents, parents don't need um, the same sort of um, reinforcements as, as kids do because they can just go to the library and get a book, you yeah. know, and read about it. It's not difficult, but a majority of parents don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Moving forward, do you think that more parents... Uh, will take it a little bit more seriously and go out and find um, the resources for their children? I hope so. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful that, um, that parents really want to help their kids. But the, here's the sort of the difficult part of that is that anxiety starts at home. And um, a kid's anxiety is modeled on the parent's anxiety. So there's no way a parent is going to... Um, be able to adequately address their kids' anxiety until they adequately address their own, and that's the problem. That's where the problem is. People don't want to uh, see their flaws. They don't want to see or recognize that something could be originating from them that's mm. that's causing some harm. Yeah, so I definitely see that this is kind of a cycle mm-hmm. of not kind of having a shame of not wanting to talk about it at all and then it's just continuing and you definitely talk about that throughout your book uh thank you for speaking with me today about it um once again i'm here with amanda stern um her memoir little panic dispatches from an anxious life explores how society uh perceives mental health in and outside of the school community when Amanda was going to school, there wasn't much conversation about mental health None. at all. Um, today, we are seeing a little more conversations, but not as much as we'd like to see. And there's definitely room for progress and growth. Thank you again for listening to my conversation with Amanda Stern regarding this topic. My name is Bobby Bell. And once again, thank you for listening.